Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. And today we're going to be kicking off a multi-part series about whistling. Uh, this is one of those topics I, I hope in in uh, classic Stuff to Blow Your Mind fashion, we will be able to really surprise you how much weird and interesting stuff there is to learn about whistling around the world. That's uh, right. I mean, we will we will make it weird. Uh, we will make oh, it weird yeah. in episode one. So strap in. Yeah. So one of the first things that I wanted to talk about, and I think this is something we'll have to revisit in multiple parts of this series, is the idea of whistled languages. Much to my surprise, after reading about this subject, there are multiple examples from around the globe of whistled languages, or at least whistled alternate versions of an existing spoken language. And uh, to, so to kick us off, I wanted to talk about one particular example of a whistled language. I was reading about this in a classic linguistics paper from 1948, by George M. Cowan called uh, Mazateco Whistle Speech. This was published in the journal Language, again, 1948. Uh, it's by this scholar named George M. Cowan, who lived 1916 through 2017. He was an expert on linguistics. He was associated with the Summer Institute of Linguistics. And uh, apparently this paper is one of his most important contributions to the field. Uh, so it's an article 
documenting this fascinating type of communication practiced by the Mazatec people living in Oaxaca, Mexico. So what, what we're talking about here is an alternate form of the Mazateco language that is based entirely on whistles. Cowan writes that as of the 1940 Mexican census, there were approximately 60,000 people in the uh, Mazatec tribe, and almost 56,000 of them were monolingual speakers of, of the Mazatecan languages. Uh, the Mazatecan languages are part of what Cowan here calls the Popoloca Mazateco language family, so part of a, a broader uh, uh, association of languages found in this area. So, Cowan spent several winters in the 1940s living among speakers of the Mazatecan languages to document uh, uh, these languages and eventually the whistle speech. And I want to begin by reading an anecdote that he just uh, observed during his time there. Quote, Eusebio Martinez was observed one day standing in front of his hut, whistling to a man a considerable distance away. The man was passing on the trail below, going to market to sell a load of corn leaves which he was carrying. The man answered Eusebio's whistle with a whistle. The interchange was repeated several times with different whistles. Finally, the man turned around, retraced his steps a short way, and came up the footpath to Eusebio's hut. Without saying a word, he dumped his load on the ground. Eusebio looked the load over, went into his hut, returned with some money, and paid the man his price. The man turned and left. Not a word had been spoken. They had talked, bargained over the price, and come to an agreement satisfactory to both parties using only whistles as a medium of communication. And this is not an isolated incident. Uh, the, the author here writes that the, the Mazatec people frequently hold entire conversations and express an extremely broad and versatile set of ideas, all using whistles. Uh, as he puts it, quote, The Mazatecos frequently converse by whistling to one another. The whistles are not merely signals with limited semantic value arrived at by common agreement, but are parallel to spoken conversations as a means of communication. And so to, to try to uh, elucidate that a little bit, what this means is that the whistle speech is not a code. Like you may have heard, you, you may have seen in movies, I don't know, like like soldiers crawling around and they sort of like whistle codes at each other. And you get the idea that maybe they've agreed on a handful of whistled signals in advance. Like you know that one whistle means a stop, another one means go forward. And But there, there's probably a very limited array of those whistles and you had to work on agreeing to them beforehand, right? Right. Also, in contrast to how the sort of every day in, in our world, you will encounter, you know, a handful of uses of whistles that have sort of agreed upon meanings, sort of a whistle that is an attention grabber, a, a whistle that might be a little more scandalous, and then a whistle that is, is a, that seems to say, say, whoa, uh, like, that's a big truck. Uh, something of, of that nature, but the, but it's not real. It's, it's nothing at all like a robust language of whistles. It's just a few basic whistle signals that seem to be commonly used. Yeah, that's right. I would say, like in the standard uh, American English speaking context, there are a few sort of significant whistles. You you basically know what they mean when you hear them, but there's only a handful of them, and you certainly can't make sentences out of them. Right. 
Exactly the opposite is true of the the Mazateco whistle speech. Uh, this is a a full equivalent to the standard spoken Mazateco language. The whistles can be recorded and translated by anybody familiar with the whistle speech, producing the same specific translations uh, with a couple of. Uh, certain kinds of ambiguities. I'll get into that later. Uh, so it's not a kind of loose, suggestive code. It's not something that has to be agreed on ahead of time. It's just an equivalent of a spoken language with all the freedom of degrees of expression and, and lexical richness found in the spoken language. And I thought this was just amazing. So uh, I guess I want to explore a few more things that, that Cowan documents uh, that he observed about the, the, the whistle speech during his uh, time in Oaxaca in the 1940s. So he says also that um, the, the Mazateco people use the whistle signals when communicating with animals. For example, there's a sort of slow upgliding whistle to keep burros moving when on the trail or whistles to call out to dogs. But these whistles don't have a translatable language equivalent. So there is whistling that is language, but then there's also a, a whole set of like whistle sounds that are useful day to day, but are not words. Yeah. They're just, if they, if they were to be translated, they'd be like, Hey, <laughs> yeah. Or, or keep walking, keep going. Yeah. Another thing, not everybody whistles and not everybody who whistles whistles the same amount. Uh, Cowan writes that while everyone seems to have listening fluency with the whistled speech, generally only men whistle, and especially men between the ages of boyhood and, and middle age. So he says old men rarely whistle conversationally. It seems to fade out uh, over mm -hmm. the lifespan. And women and girls understand what is whistled by the men and boys, but usually do not whistle themselves. So he talks about observing a bunch of interactions where like a boy would whistle something to a girl his age and the girl would reply with spoken language. So she understands the whistles, but she doesn't use them herself. Uh, he even talks about one specific example of like a boy teasing a girl and he didn't realize what was happening because he, he just observed the boy whistling. He didn't realize it was speech and suddenly the girl lashed out and hit the boy with a broom because of what he'd been saying to her, except he hadn't been using the spoken language. Interesting. Okay, so with the former, we have perhaps a physical uh, reason for the limit, but po possibly cultural. And then the second one seems to be definitely cultural. Yeah, I, I don't know if there's a if there's like a biological limitation on on older men whistling either. I mean, it seems like this is probably all cultural convention. Yeah, I think with older men, based on what I've been reading, it would be it would be kind of a case to case situation. You certainly have yeah. older gentlemen who are profound whistlers, uh, but. Mm. There are there are certainly cases even in younger people where if there are changes to one's uh, mouth uh, due to injury, due to just changes in dental health, then that could impact one's ability to whistle. Well, so a big question here would be why? I mean, this is a, a, a an interesting and beautiful thing about this language that it has the you know the spoken language and then it's whistled twin. But like, what would cause a whistled version of a language to develop like this? And I think one good way to get some insight into that is to look at what are the common occasions for people to use the whistled version of their language instead of the spoken version. And one of the big answers here is pretty clear. The author here says that the most frequent use of the whistle speech was observed when the speakers were at a distance from each other. He writes, quote, 
Men scattered widely over a mountainside, each working in his own plot of ground, will often talk to one another with whistles. Travelers on the trails will keep in touch with one another by whistling, though separated by considerable distance. When wishing to call or get the attention of someone, even uh, though he be within easy speaking distance, the Mazatecos will often whistle his name. The village shoemaker often calls passers-by into his shop with a whistle to chat with him while he works. A man may come to a friend's hut on a visit. While approaching, or when he has actually arrived at the door of the hut, he will frequently whistle rather than call his friend's name. If the friend is home, he may respond from within with a whistle, then come out to greet his visitor, or he may remain inside and whistle to his visitor to come in. Fascinating. Okay, so uh, communicating at a distance seems to be a big one, or Mm -hmm. also initiating communication at the start of an encounter, which... Uh, I think it's interesting that even when we're not at a distance, we often use language that we employ at a distance. Like to get some in a spoken language to get somebody's attention from far away. What do you do? You yell "Hey" at them. But also, mm-hmm. what do you do when you walk up and and see somebody? You know, you're two feet away from them. You say, "Oh, hey." And there might be some sort of a wave or something in there as well. And I could I can yeah. imagine. I, I don't know for sure, but I can imagine where if whistling could maybe take the place of some of the otherwise necessary waving or gesticulating that would be required to sort of get somebody's attention and say, "Hey, here I am. There you are. Let's converse." Right. So, okay. So you got communicating at a distance. You've got initiating communication at the start of a of a meeting, and then along the same lines, uh, he, he writes here that the whistle is sometimes used as a warning, such as when someone unknown is seen approaching on the trail. Mm. You kind of whistle to let all of your friends nearby know that something's up. You know, to get mm. their attention. Though, again, he says the most common occasion is talking at a distance, and he writes that in these cases, men working in the field seem to be able to communicate easily with people uh, a full quarter of a mile away, like on the opposite mountainside, using the whistle speech. But also, and I found I found this next part really interesting, uh, Cowan says that sometimes, especially boys, will hold a whistle conversation if they're trying to talk while older people are also nearby carrying on a spoken conversation or even singing together. And he calls these sort of simultaneous whistled conversations subdued whistles <laughs> and says mm-hmm. that, they're, that they're quite audible and yet they are able to happen simultaneously without seeming to much interfere with the spoken conversation of the adults. And I, I don't know, that one seems really interesting to me. I mean, it reminds me of of being a kid and wanting to talk to other kids while they're, I don't know, while you're in class or something when you're not supposed to be doing that. Uh, and and there, there's just an obvious sort of clash between two sets of spoken words going on at the same time. And this gets the ire of the adults, not only because you're not paying attention, but because you're distracting others. Yet somehow uh, I, I could imagine that, yeah, maybe having like a different form of the language, if you're speaking your language based on whistles instead of with the normal uh, phonetic syllables, that could allow a kind of simultaneity without so much conflict. Yeah, a way to speak while the adults are speaking without interfering with what they're doing. Now, the example of of using the whistles to communicate, say um, in the case of a path, uh, you're in the woods, someone's coming. Uh, that reminds me that, I and, and I'm, I'm making an assumption here, but if one were to say, hey, Carl, there's somebody coming and call out. Well, not only are you communicating to Carl, but you're communing, communicating something about yourself. 
I mm-hmm. wonder if whistling language in specific scenarios like this allow you to communicate without tipping your hand at all regarding like who you are, like what your age is, what your gender is, etc. Oh, huh. That, I didn't think about that. That's interesting. Um, well, another thing I would say along those same lines is, uh, again, I, I haven't done experiments to confirm this, but I would just say as a baseline, I might assume that whistling can more easily blend in with nature than mm. than spoken language. That like you hear spoken language, you instantly know a person is nearby. You hear a little whistle, I don't know, that could be a bird or, or something like that if you're not tuned into it as a linguistic signal. And I think that's where, and that's certainly where my assumption come, come, comes into play, uh, is that I'm not sure what it would be like for someone who has lived in the world of this kind of whistling. If you're used to it, then maybe you just you have a heightened susceptibility to recognizing it and, and, mm. and, and telling the difference between it and the natural world. And likewise, uh, perhaps if you're used to it, you can definitely tell the difference between a man's whistle and a boy's whistle. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Rob, as the uh, the local host with allergies here, they sent you some of their nasal spray to treat your allergies. What was your experience like? Yeah, that's right. I always wrestle with the pollen a bit when it rolls in during the spring. So they sent me the little uh, nasal spray. I tried out the product and yeah, it sure did help me get on top of my symptoms for the day. And it's so fast acting, uh, it was already kicking in before I left the house. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use this directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month. Taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. 
no estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, so to round out the things that uh, that Cowan talks about in this article, he says um, uh, that there are no lexical limitations on the whistle speech. Uh, I sort of already uh, got to this, but basically anything you can express in spoken language, you can express in the whistles. Um, however, there are some ambiguities caused by the whistle speech. And this is because of the, uh, the basic phonetic features of it. So the... Uh, Mazatecan languages are tonal languages, and this would mean they're similar to like Mandarin, where you can have a syllable and you can have maybe four different versions of that syllable. And in English, they would all be the same syllable to us. Like maybe uh, the classic example in Mandarin is four different ways of saying ma, but pronounced in each case with a different tone. So you would all, you know, in, if you're trying to write them out phonetically in English, they would all be M-A, but one might be a kind of gliding up tone and one is a falling tone and so forth. Yeah. Well, the Mazatecan languages are like this too. They have tones in the speech and the tones are what eventually becomes the whistle speech. The whistle speech is based on the tonal features of the spoken language. Uh, but if you have, say, two different phrases that in the spoken language have the exact same sequences of tones, these can, of course, cause ambiguity in the whistle speech, and that has mm. to be resolved. You might have to say, wait, what do you mean? Uh, Cowan writes that one of the most common sources of ambiguity in whistled speech is just proper names, because there are a lot of proper names that have the same sequence of tones. Hmm. But despite this limitation that, you know, you, you don't have spoken syllables, you're just turning the language entirely into sequences of tones, uh, you can communicate a lot, and most of the time people understand each other just fine. Another thing I thought was interesting is that he says uh, there don't appear to be any limitations on 
whistled speech mingling with spoken language. Like it's not like you go into one mode and then you're supposed to stay there and back and forth. And like he says that a conversation might start at a distance as whistle as whistles and then switch to normal speech when the parties get closer to each other. Uh, or you might just go back and forth. You might be speaking and then suddenly whistling and then, uh, and so forth. Interesting. This, um, this, this is not, not a, a perfect comparison, but I am, I can't help but think of, the astromech droids in Star Wars, you know, how they <laughs> they speak with a kind of whistling um, language. Uh, and, and generally when they're talking to somebody like Luke Skywalker or whoever, uh, Luke understands the astromech language and then speaks back in English. And mm-hmm. uh, or whatever we're calling English uh, um, in the Star Wars universe, and uh, at times when I'm watching this, I'm always I'll stop and I'll think, and I'll, of course I'm you know caught up in the flow of it, so it ultimately doesn't matter. But if I'm over analyzing it, I'm I'm thinking about the fact that they're they're speaking in two different languages to each other, and there doesn't seem to be any problem. But an example like this from the real world makes me think, well, no, this is entirely believable. You have both parties know the language, but the, the astromech, of course, can only speak one of those languages, and Luke Skywalker can also only speak one of those languages, but both can understand. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I have often thought about that, too, about the, the how exactly the R2-D2 communication goes on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but I just wanted to say also that like um, this isn't something of the past. The, the Mazateco whistle speech is still in use today, uh, certainly by people in Oaxaca and maybe elsewhere as well. If you want to hear what it sounds like, I would highly recommend uh, looking up videos. There are videos you can find online of native speakers demonstrating the, the Mazateco whistle speech. And it's 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 totally worth looking up. Absolutely, yeah, it's 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 quite beautiful. But uh, as I alluded to earlier, this is not the only case in the world. This is just one example I picked. There are other examples, and I might get into them in in part two of this series of whistled languages popping up, uh, especially it seems in in mountainous and forested regions mm. around the world. And there is a paper I want to talk about in in the next part of the series about. What are some of the common features that may cause whistled versions of languages to arise? It's very interesting to think about like what are the the pressures and environmental characteristics that tend to give rise to uh, certain characteristics of language. Absolutely. Now, in in discussing whistling here, uh, you know, it, it, when we first started looking into this topic, uh, I was thinking, well, well, what is whistling? And I, 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 at first I was thinking, well, this has to be one of those questions that shouldn't be too complicated, right? Uh, in part because for many of us, a whistle is literally as close as our own breath. We can produce a whistle without giving it too much thought, and we can generally pick out the sound of whistling rather easily, maybe not um, you know, as, as quickly uh, as we were discussing in our previous example compared to other things, but hear it for a second and you'll say, yeah, yeah, somebody's whistling, and then maybe you can pick out the tune. But uh, yeah, we know it when we hear it. And we know it when we produce it. So I honestly expected to kind of springboard past the basic what is a whistle question here and so you can get more into some of the meteor stuff. Uh, but then I read this definition of whistling from the paper, The Physiology of Oral Whistling by Azola et al., published in the Journal of Applied Physiology in 2018. Quote, Experimental models support the hypothesis that the sound in human whistling is generated by a Helmholtz resonator, suggesting that the oral cavity acts as a resonant chamber bounded by two orifices, posteriorly by raising the tongue to the hard palate and anteriorly by pursed lips. So, 
I don't know about you, but uh, when I heard that, I, uh, that instantly <laughs> made me realize, okay, it's a little more complicated than I had perhaps uh, realized at first. And uh, I, I don't think I had actually heard of a Helmholtz resonator before. And when I heard that, I instantly thought of like the Holtzman effect in Dune. But this has nothing to do with personal shields and suspensors. Well, yeah, I think that's interesting too. That it's like not a fully settled question how exactly the mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the physics of uh, of whistling work. But I, I do think it's clear, and you can sort of test this in your own body uh, that part of what's happening with whistling is you are relocating the primary resonating chamber that's producing the vibrations, the sound uh, when you whistle, as opposed to when you produce regular speech, because. If you just feel it in your body while you're talking, you can kind of feel, at least I can, that the vibrations sort of seem to be coming from the throat. It's also sort of happening in the mouth a little bit. Um, but then when you whistle, at least what I feel is I feel the vibration beginning in my mouth. Yeah, I, I would certainly advise everyone as you're whistling, you may be whistling right now to sort of test this out, like really focus in on how it feels. Focus on how you feel the air flowing through uh, your mouth. Uh, you'll find these lateral air passages between cheek and molars. Uh, and it's, it's really quite, quite fascinating. Because again, it's easy to just take this for granted. It's not something, for most of us, certainly after, after a point, you don't really have to think about it. You don't have to, have to look up and read instructions for how to do it. You just, your mouth assumes the form necessary to create the whistle and you whistle. As a total sidetrack, I'm sorry, but I I found the title of that paper, The Physiology of Oral Whistling, very funny because it immediately made me think, are there other types of whistling? Is there ocular whistling? Mm, Well, uh, I mean, I guess there may be some sort of nasal variety. Uh, I mean, I'm instantly reminded of the various nasal flutes that exist in different cultures. Mm. So uh, the airflow from the mouth is not the only way that we have to produce uh, sound. So, uh, But yeah, when you say whistling, you tend to think oral whistling. (laughs) Now, I want to come back to the, the Helmholtz resonator here. So this is named for important German physicist and physician Hermann von Helmholtz, who lived 1821 through 1894. If, you, if you're studying anything about sound and sound generation, you'll generally find, out, find something about von Helmholtz. For instance, after we had started this uh, particular topic, I was in Asheville, North Carolina, and I went to the, the Moog Museum there, the Synthesizer Museum, and mm. it, Helmholtz's name comes up in some of the materials there because it's just oh. it's hard to avoid him when you get into the science of sound. So the Helmholtz resonator is a kind of spherical chamber with an aperture at the top or at one end uh, called the nipple and tapering there for insertion into the ear, and then has another larger aperture on the other end of this sphere. So each Helmholtz resonator has a known fixed volume size and therefore is made to pick up on a particular tone. Uh, there, there, there's no mechanical parts in this. It's essentially, uh, it's kind of like a, a, a very finely engineered seashell. Pick one up, you place the nipple in your ear, and you can pick out a particular frequency. And you generally will have a selection of these to analyze complex sounds. Joe, for your benefit, I included a a photo here of various Helmholtz resonators. And if you do a Google search out there of Helmholtz resonators, you'll see selections like this. Uh, they're often made out of some sort of a, a metal. 
You know, I think of myself as an adventurous seeker of uh, of experiences, but somehow I don't want to put the big ones of these in my ear. That just, <laughs> it, I, I I would fear I would fear oral injury. Well, the, the nipple is the same size on all of them. Uh, okay, the nipple that is inserted into your ear. <laughs> I guess I'm just. Uh, I guess what I mean is I'm afraid. It looks like it, it would suddenly produce an incredibly loud sound, but I guess mm. the size of the resonator cavity is not actually about the volume, but about the pitch. So these resonators, they have various applications in engineering, architecture, and music. But when it comes to studying and describing the mechanisms of human whistling, something that the aforementioned authors say isn't done enough, and again, is not maybe fully understood, the Helmholtz resonator is apparently a good model of what seems to be going on inside of our head, inside of our you know, our head and face when we whistle. And uh, Joe, I included a, an illustration from that paper that I thought was was very useful. This kind of takes uh, the airflow, those lateral air passages we're descri- describing, the as well as the central resonance chamber, and illustrates those inside of this this drawing of a of of a, of a human female who is uh, supposedly whistling, and mm-hmm. it, it makes whistling look like some sort of strange organ inside the mouth. Uh, yeah, it looks like, well, you got your regular liver down below and then you've got your whistling liver and that's up somewhere underneath <laughs> the nose. Right. Now, going back to that paper by Azola et al., I want to read this quick quote that sums a lot of this up. Quote, the results of this study indicate that the acoustic mechanism in human pursed lip whistling follows a Helmholtz resonator model. The oral cavity acts as the resonant chamber, and the anterior-posterior movements of the tongue play a major role in changing the volume and thus the whistle frequency produced. Further studies performed with high-resolution measurements may help elucidate the contribution of changes to other parameters of the Helmholtz equation. Okay, so this is sort of in line with what I was at least guessing based on the feelings inside my head when I whistle. It feels like the vibrations are coming from the mouth when I whistle. And here they're saying that, yes, when you whistle, the oral cavity is what's acting as the resonant chamber. It's sort of acting as a Helmholtz resonator. Right. And it is stressing, though, that, yeah, there's a lot going on here. And even though it may feel pretty natural for most of us to whistle, we don't have to, again, put a lot of thought into it, uh, though, though if you may be overthinking it now and finding yourself having to, to, to think more about doing it. But uh, you still have to have the proper prerequisites in place. Uh, some people lack the ability to whistle for a few different reasons. It's also something that does have to be initially learned and can get really good with practice. So, uh, it, it's like it's one of those scenarios. Like when you hear somebody do it really well, uh, it, it has an almost otherworldly beauty to it. Uh, some of those uh, uh, examples earlier in the whistling speech definitely have this quality to them. But also, I think of whistling used in music. Sometimes I think of the whistling of say Leon Redbone, uh, who mm. whistled during some of his performance. So uh, an amazing whistler. My whistle is nothing like that. Um, and and a large part of that just may simply be practice. I I have not applied the hours of whistling that Leon Redbone applied during his lifetime to achieve that, that level of art. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. 
there's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month. Taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. 
So off mic, we were talking about our favorite uh, examples of music that features whistling. Uh, one example that immediately comes to my mind is there's a there's a great uh, Bolivian folk song called Yorando Se Fue. Mm -hmm. And the uh, the band, the experimental rock band Sun City Girls do a cover of that song. I think their cover is called The Shining Path. And there's a part usually before the lyrics come in that uh, I think on earlier recordings of this song is done on a flute, but they whistle this part. And the whistling is just intense. It sounds very much... The comparison a lot of people seem to make, I think Seth said the same thing when we played it for him earlier, is that it feels like Ennio Morricone. It feels like a mm -hmm. kind of a very dramatic, dangerous Western scene. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's something about the the, the West cinematically that uh, that makes me think of whistling. And a big part of it is you know, probably uh, Morricone's uh, scores, but also the score by Carter Burwell for um, uh, Raising Arizona, the, the Coen oh. Brothers film. So uh, good fabulous score that includes a lot of like yodeling and banjo but also whistling really powerful like pure whistling that sounds like it's from just uh, it's from straight from heaven but the other one seth reminded uh reminded me of was the the peter bjorn and john song that was popular mm -hmm. i think that was like really big my last year in college it was like 2008 or so yeah yeah that's a great example another one that i think uh, seth and i both thought of at the same time was uh otis redding sitting on the dock of the bay that has a wonderful whistling part in it well you know i was trying to think based on all these examples we just brought up whether there are sort of common connotations to whistling in music uh but i guess not really because on in some of these examples we've talked about uh, the whistling feels very uh, very happy and languid. It's a relaxed kind of sound. I think of sitting on the dock of the bay, uh, whereas in uh, in the first example I mentioned, it's it's a fiery, intense, you know, uh, uh, a danger rising from from the canyon kind of sound. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm glancing at a list right now, and oh, this is a big one: "Winds of Change" by the Scorpions. <laughs> oh. That's some that's some powerful whistling in there. Feel it, feel it in your bones. Golden Years by David Bowie. That's another good one. Mm. Games Without Frontiers by Peter Gabriel. Oh, I know that one. Yep, yep. That's a great one. War, War Without Tears. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there are a bunch of them. And uh, I'm not going to go through this whole list, but I'd love to hear from folks out there if you have particularly uh, favored examples of songs with whistling in them or, or favorite whistling performers. Oh, like here's another great one. Always look on the bright side of life. From uh, Monty Python's The Life of Brian. Mm-hmm. Great stuff. Uh, there's Walk Like an Egyptian by the Bengals. I did not remember the whistling in that. Yeah. Don't Worry, Be Happy, Bobby McFerrin. Oh, there you go. Ooh, I don't know if I remember the... I remember the song, but I don't remember the whistling. Me and Julio down by the schoolyard, Paul Simon. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I shouldn't do that too much. <laughs> <laughs> Love is a Battlefield, Pat Benatar. Great song, uh... I don't remember the whistling. You know, uh, coming back to the idea of whistled languages, part of me thinks, oh, man, I, uh, it would be difficult for me living in a culture like that because I feel like I don't whistle very well. But then again, I guess it's a, it's a skill that you develop with practice like other language skills and that mm -hmm. um, unless you have some kind of uh, like anatomical uh, reason that's interfering with your ability to whistle, I'd imagine it's largely a function of how much you do it, how much you – you, you practice it and how much you learn it at an early age. But but yes, I, I am one of those who I, – I don't whistle great. 
Uh, yeah, my, my whistling is it's okay for my own purposes, but mm. it is not a performance level whistle. So I, I will catch myself occasionally whistling a particular tune, but I'm also just as I'm just as inclined to maybe sing a little bit from a particular song or to hum a little bit uh, to, to use those more or less in tandem. But pure whistling, yeah, I, I, I've never really applied myself to it because uh, because I feel like my whistling, yeah, it's good enough for me, not so much for anybody else I'm around. I did get into a habit a while back of uh, when I would be singing a song and I would start getting up to the high notes that I couldn't sing, I would just switch to whistling them. Uh, yeah. As we were researching this, I was, of course, like a lot of you out there listening to the episode, I, I was a little, I was hyper-conscious of my own whistling. So I was, I was trying it out and I, and I decided, well, what if I tried to whistle better? Or, you know, what if I, <laughs> what if I sort of f- really concentrate on it and try and see what happens when I change the shape of my mouth a little bit? And mm-hmm. I was feeling, I, I found that I was able to make a stronger uh, uh, whistle but it was also I felt it straining uh, like muscles in my face and, and, and in my head that I uh, maybe don't strain that much when I do my default whistle. And then I was able to go back to my default whistle and it felt more natural. Uh, mm. So I, I kind of took that as an indicator. It's like, OK, this is this is kind of the gateway to better whistling if I wanted to actually pursue this uh, probably. But I'm not going to do that. Oh, well, uh, th- this makes me think of how actually to some degree, the same thing is true about spoken language. Like I find mm-hmm. at least if I think too hard about what my body is doing while I'm producing words with my mouth, suddenly they become a lot harder to produce. Like if I'm thinking about my lungs and my larynx and my mouth, uh, the syllables become kind of strange. You get that. Uh, actually, I would say it's a feeling kind of similar to semantic satiation, where when you say a word too many times in a row, you start like the word starts to feel strange and it loses its association with the with the uh, with the meaning that it signifies. Yeah, uh, in a way, it's kind of like if you're riding a bicycle and you suddenly start thinking really hard about how you were riding the bicycle, how this is being yeah. maintained. And maybe don't do that. Maybe just 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 ride the bicycle. Think about something else because everything's in motion. It's it's working. Just don't don't second guess it. But. Uh, as we were saying, though, it's by second guessing it that we are able to potentially improve it as well. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we can certainly fall into a habit of whistling a certain way, uh, and, and there are conceivably ways to improve upon that whistle, but uh, you've got to want to do that or have some reason to do that. Mm-hmm. And certainly communication would be a big one. If you're engaging in some sort of whistling communication with people, then there's going to be sort of a, a whistling standard, I imagine. Uh, you're going you're gonna to hear other people use it, and there is going to be a, a, a positive social pressure to improving your whistle to match the whistles of those around you. Right, right. Uh, well, maybe we need to call part one of our whistling series here, but we've got so much more interesting stuff to talk about in subsequent parts. We're going to talk about uh, religious uses of whistling. We're going to talk about uh, whistling superstition, whistling psychology, uh, whistling technology. There are a lot of monsters in this closet. 
All right. Well, join us for that when we come back and certainly go ahead and send in your messages regarding your own experience with whistling. Uh, We would love to hear from you. Uh, As a reminder, Stuff to Blow Your Mind's core episodes published Tuesdays and Thursdays in the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast feed. On Wednesdays, we do a short form artifact or monster fact. On Monday, it's listener mail. And on Fridays, we do Weird House Cinema. That's our time to set aside most serious concerns and just talk about a weird film. If you want to converse with other Stuff to Blow Your mind listeners well there are a couple of places you can go on facebook you can go to the discussion module and you can also go to the discord if you're a discord user go to the discord email us and we'll send you the the link you need to join that but there are a lot of cool discussions going on there and they're doing a book club there i I need to mention that again Uh, some of the listeners have decided to read uh, umberto echoes the name of the rose so if you're interested in that email us get the link we'll send you to the right place and you can join up with them Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.